0: Greetings from Cardiff, Wales. I've had a great week. I flew into Amsterdam a few days ago and then played a festival in Utrecht. It was a beautiful festival. A big crowd all crammed in, and everyone was completely silent and just had a great time. It was a, the festival treated me wonderful. It's called Ramblin' Roots. Got to see my buddies Sandra and Luciano. And then I flew to England, ended up in Eastbourne, had a really nice gig there. I stayed for two nights in a supposedly haunted hotel. It was actually an inn. I might talk about that a little bit later. Might not. I went ahead and made my way up to Sheffield. Had a great gig there. Saw my buddy Craig. Ended up taking a train to Cardiff. And that's where I'm at in the hotel room. And uh cannot believe after all this time I finally made it to my 100th episode. This is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in a hotel room in Cardiff, Wales, on a rainy day. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. I'd planned on having Amy on for the 100th show, and then she would go ahead and ask me some questions, and I'd tell some stories. But we got really busy before I had to leave the United States, and uh, just never got a chance to put it together. So here I am. I'm in a hotel room in Cardiff, Wales. I'd planned on putting this together in Eastbourne a couple days ago, But I found out that there was this 500-foot cliff called Beachy Head that was just a few miles away. And I thought, man, I could either sit in a hotel room for eight or nine hours putting this thing together, or I could go walk along 500-foot cliffs overlooking the English Channel. And I chose to err on the side of nature and go live a little bit. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. You should go ahead and look it up online and see some pictures of it. Just beautiful. It's where Chitty Chitty Bang Bang drove off the edge of the cliff and flew for the first time and it's also was in quadrophenia and it was also in the cures just like heaven video and a lot of other things but i'm going to tell you some stories and maybe i'll even do a little bit of state of the nation type stuff and tell you where things stand but uh, thank you guys for being there with me i really appreciate it and welcome to my 100th episode I mentioned earlier that I stayed in a haunted hotel room in Eastbourne. And I should say right up front that I really don't believe in any of the ghost or supernatural stuff or anything like that. I used to, at a younger age, think that it was possible. And then I've just met so many overly dramatic people in my life that just overreact to things. And then once they started making those TV shows where you see people investigating, which is a great word, quote, investigating this sort of thing. You know, those people just seem completely unbelievable to me, and it just seemed unlikely. But I've always been of the opinion, even though I don't believe in something, I welcome the opportunity for something to appear in front of me. You know, if I saw something that I just couldn't explain appear right in front of me that was out of my reality, I would have to completely re-examine everything that I believe and that's a healthy thing. That's uh, the sort of thing that we should hope for in our lives—to find things that challenge our beliefs and viewpoints. I've always believed that. So I'd love to see a ghost. I don't want to be frightened or terrified, but I'd love to see something like that that just challenged, you know, my beliefs on things. So I've stayed in quite a few places over the years. A lot of these old inns in England, you know, will claim to be haunted. And I've stayed in quite a few where they claim there's a lot of activity and I've never seen anything. And the place I stayed at a couple days ago in Eastbourne, it was built in 1180, which is very old to us Americans. We have a hard time relating to anything that old. And there's supposedly a ghost named Emily who haunts the place. And there's a very old graveyard next door. And I'm talking about, you know, 800, 900 years old. And if you go down into the basement. There's like a cellar area of this old inn, which they let me go down in there. There's a secret passage that goes underneath the graveyard and uh, pops up somewhere over there. where They used to store bodies down there uh, before they would bury them. But I didn't see anything, you know. It was a beautiful, beautiful old inn with a pub and it was, you know, I loved the place. I wish it was in East Nashville. I'd hang out there every night, but I didn't see anything. And quite a few years ago, my best buddy Todd, who's uh, you know my, been my best friend for over 20 years now, his sister was working at a hotel called the Reed House in Chattanooga, and she was telling us all of these ghost stories about things that would happen in this one room in this hotel. Well, the backstory is there was a prostitute named Marguerite back in 1927 who brought her John into up into the hotel room. And this was a very classy, high-end hotel. At the time, well, she brought her John up to the hotel room and he ended up being some kind of a crazy guy and he cut her head off. So supposedly she haunts this room. My buddy Todd, his sister works there and said she would say that they would rent this room out last to people because quite often someone would check in, they would go upstairs and about 15 or 20 minutes later, they would come back down and check out and they would look really frazzled and they wouldn't say what exactly was wrong but they just went ahead and, you know, would check out. And sometimes people would say that they saw a woman's face in the bathroom mirror and other people claimed that they saw a woman holding a severed head. So what they would do is they would rent this room out last, you know, as a last resort. And after a while, there were so many people who would check in and out. They decided they weren't going to rent the room out at all. And they moved out all the furniture and everything. Well, me and my buddy Todd heard about this and we were just like, man, we have to go stay in this room. So we talked her into letting us stay there. So we drove down, we left Indianapolis probably two in the morning and drove six or seven hours down to Chattanooga. Checked into the hotel, went up to the room and went right to sleep. We stayed there for three nights and it was creepy and it was a beautiful old hotel, but we didn't see anything at all, nothing at all. But everybody that worked there had great ghost stories and about a year later we thought well let's give it another try so we stayed there four nights that time and we didn't see anything heard a lot of great stories had a good time in Chattanooga but no ghost at all so I still don't believe in ghosts but you know who knows maybe one day I'll see something and then I'll have to re-examine everything. A couple of years ago, I got to go on tour in the UK opening for Ian Hunter. And it was just a great experience. It was beautiful in every way. He was a really inspiring person. I can't say enough good things about him. The two people I've met, you know, you meet a lot of people in music that aren't that fun to be around. And maybe they're not the people that you hope they would be. But um, Billy Bragg and Ian Hunter are two of the classiest, you know, great people that I've met in music. When I get these opportunities as an opener, I just look at it like, you know, it's not my gig. I'm just happy to be there. And I'm going to do everything I can to be invisible so that nobody has to worry about me at all. I just shut up. If somebody says something to me, I'll answer them, you know, and uh, just be happy to be there. If you're supposed to, if everyone's supposed to meet somewhere at a certain time, I'll make sure I'm the very first person there. And nobody's ever waiting for me or worrying about it. You know, if my set gets cut short, that's fine. I'm just happy to be there. So I treated it like that. and uh, I think Ian appreciated that. So a few nights into the tour, he came up to me and he's like, "Otis, I want you to to know I've really you know enjoyed having you out on tour. I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you would like to come up at the end of the, my set and sing all the young dudes with me, that would be great, but you don't have to. I don't want you to think you have to. And I'm thinking, Of course I'm going to. That's you know, I'd love to. That's beautiful. Thank you. So every night of the tour from that point on, I came out and got to sing all the young dudes with him, which was quite the honor. So the last night of the tour, there were a lot of people showed up. It was some I think it was in Homeforth. You know, there were just a lot of people that showed up. Uh, Verdon Allen from Mata Hoople was there, Mick Ralphs. Mata Hoople and Bad Company was there and Joe Elliott from Def Leppard was there and Martin Chambers from the Pretenders so we're all you know sitting backstage and I'm a big you know I grew up a big Pretenders fan as a kid and still love the Pretenders to this day I was pretty stoked to you know just stand around and be be a fly on the wall well Joe Elliott kept looking at me I think he got the idea that maybe I was a roadie or something he had no idea I was the opener And uh, so I'm just trying to stay out of the way. And they're talking about like, okay, everybody's going to come up and sing for all the young dudes. And I'm standing backstage and I'm waiting for the cue and everybody goes to the side of the stage. There's a door that you enter to get onto the side of the stage. And the side of the stage was really, really small. So everybody walks through the door. Joe Elliott is in front of me and he kind of slams the door in front of me so i'm kind of locked out and they're all waiting to go on and i have this moment like well do i not go out because obviously joe elliott thinks i'm the roadie or something i st- just stood there for a second and i could hear the cue coming up and i knew when everybody would walk out for that so when the cue came i opened the door everybody walked out and there was room for me to walk out to the side of the stage and then i walked out onto the stage it was beautiful martin chambers put his arm around me and i'm singing along all the young dudes with Mick Ralphs, you know, Verdon Allen, all the guys, which are great guys in Ian's current band, the Ramp Band. And uh, I looked over to the side of stage, and I could see Joe Elliott looking at me, kind of confused, like, why is the roadie up here singing also? And then he kind of smiled and gave me the little thumbs up, and that was fun. We went backstage, and, and he laughed about it, and I laughed about it, and just had a really good time. But Ian was nice enough to come on the show while I was on that tour. Maybe it was in the first 10 episodes. Either way, I encourage you to look that up. It's really good listening. I've never been a big gambling guy. At least I didn't think so. As I, I'm a pretty cheap person, and I don't like to, to waste money or anything. But uh, I always enjoyed playing poker with the guys. We had a poker night back when I lived in Indianapolis, the bars would close at 3 a.m., sometimes a little bit earlier than that, and we would all head over to a buddy of mine's house there in the neighborhood, and the poker game would start somewhere around 3 a.m. once a week. I believe it was on Tuesdays, and at the time, I'm making about $300 a month, barely getting by, and this was a good opportunity for me because I, I, I've never drank. I've, I've always been really square, never drank or anything, and... uh I would show up, and all of my buddies would be drunk already. And it's pretty fun to play poker with drunk people. So we would sit up, and these guys, you know, they would lose their inhibitions, and they would go for the inside straight way too often. These weren't very big stake games. These were very small. The pots would probably be around $4 or $5 most of the time. But we would play until 7 or 8 in the morning. And most of the time, I would make about $20 or $25, sometimes a little bit more than that. And that helped me help my standard of living a little bit. And I enjoyed doing it. And I I recommend playing poker with drunk people and staying sober. It's probably probably be good for your bank account. And from there, I went on to playing these parlay cards where you would, you know, bet on football games. And for some reason, early in the season, I was really good at that. And I would make some money off of that. And, you know, I just put a few dollars here and there on something And if you could pick three winners against the spread, you know, you might make 25 bucks off of that. So I would do that and had a good time. And it was fun stuff to do with the guys. So from there, it seems like it escalated a little bit. We've all got one of those friends who can just talk trash really well. And will just get underneath your skin. And I had a buddy of mine. He's actually a really good friend. And I miss him to this day. I don't see him much anymore. But He started talking trash about this Notre Dame game versus Florida State. And I believe at the time, Florida State was number one in the nation and Notre Dame was number two. This was a big game. So as we're leading up to it, he's talking trash and talking trash. He's a Florida State fan, and I like Notre Dame. So as we lead up to it, it just starts escalating. And we put like five bucks on the game and it goes up to 10. you know the next day i see him and he's talking more trash and i'm starting to get really irritated by him it slowly escalates to where it's about 20 bucks which is a lot of money for me to bet on something and i thought man i can't take this guy anymore i can't you know i hope notre dame smashes him so one night we're sitting up at the bar and he really starts going and just gets under my skin and he's like we need to bet something serious we need to really put something on this game and uh, this is way too serious to be taking a football game, but we're getting there. At this point, it has nothing to do with the game. It has everything to do with shutting my friend up. And he's saying, man, you don't have the guts to bet something serious on this. And I said, what do you have in mind? And he says, I say that we bet tattoos on it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what do you, okay, what do you, what do you say? He goes, if Florida State wins, you have to get Ozzy tattooed on your knuckles. I said, all right, how about if Notre Dame wins, you have to get Hank tattooed on your knuckles. And he says, it's a deal. And I walked home from the bar that night thinking, oh, my God, what did, I, what did I do? So the game comes around, and it's back and forth the entire game, and I'm just sweating bullets. And at the end of the game, Notre Dame wins it in the last seconds, and they beat them. And I'm thinking, man, I just escaped it. This is great. And my friend ended up welching on it. He wouldn't get the tattoo. And I'm telling you right now, I would have. I would have gotten Ozzy tattooed on my knuckles. I had no problem with that at all. I probably would have laughed about it. And then about a month later, covered it up with something else. But I would have done it. If there's any good that came of this, every time I would see my buddy, if he started talking trash about anything, I'd just say, hey, man, let's see them knuckles. And he would shut up. Shut up right then you know and i'd start calling hey how you? how's it going hank knuckles how you doing so needless to say i that's pretty bad when you make a bet about getting a tattoo you know over a damn football game so i've decided maybe gambling isn't for me i've had a lot of people ask me how i got started playing over here in europe and it's kind of a long story but i'll try to make it as short as possible I got an email many many years ago from a guy named Graham Anderson in Newcastle, England, and he's a uh, become a really dear friend of mine, but at the time he's just a stranger and he said he was a fan and said, "Hey, if you ever come over here, I'd like to book a gig in Newcastle." And there was just not an opportunity for me to get over. I just didn't really have a way to come over and I couldn't come over and just play that one gig cuz I couldn't afford to give me enough money. So he just kind of kept in touch and I ran into him once in Austin we hung out, and there was a few friends of his. They're just really nice guys. We hung out for a few hours that night and got along great. And the next spring, he contacted me and said, hey, there's a festival over here in Gateshead, which is just across the river from Newcastle, and said that uh, I'm booking a stage out there, and I could get you on it if you'd like to come over here and play. And he made it all possible. I had a really good time. They paid me really well. I got to come over and bring Amy with me. They put me up in a super nice hotel room and I opened for Guy Clark in fr- front of a couple thousand people. Just a great gig. Really, really great gig. And I remember soundcheck sitting there and there's Guy Clark doing his sound check, him and Verlin. And afterwards, I'm the only other person in the place besides a sound man. And afterwards, Guy Clark comes over and he's like, what's your name? I said, I'm Otis, sir. He said, my name's Guy. And I said, it's really nice to meet you. And he says, are you opening for me? I said, yes, sir. And he's real grumpy, really big, intimidating guy. I'm just kind of smiling, enjoying the fact that he's being grumpy because that's kind of what I want Guy Clark to be when I meet him. And he's saying, you opening for me? I said, yes, sir. He says, where are you from? I said, I'm from Wanamaker, Indiana, sir. He just kind of paused for a second and looked at me. and said, I ain't never been there. And he turned around and walked off and i thought that was pretty great that was exactly what i wanted out of guy clark but the show happened and it went great i mean it really really went great and i got to bring amy up on stage and she sang a song with me and then it just happened to be her birthday and had a couple thousand geordies singing happy birthday to to amy and afterwards you know i brought I don't remember how many CDs I brought, but I brought about a hundred, a little over a hundred and sold everything in about 15 minutes and just couldn't believe how fertile everything was. And I was used to playing a lot of really crappy gigs back home that where people didn't really appreciate the music quite as much as that. And then here is this situation that felt completely fertile. And I decided I was going to go ahead and put every bit of resources and attention that I had into coming over here and trying to meet more people and since then it's been great but to this day i'm very thankful to graham for you know making that all possible and helping me get things started there and uh to be able to bring amy over and have folks sing happy birthday needless to say i was pretty popular around the house for a couple weeks and we all need that every now and then I have to be honest and say, I cannot believe I've actually made it to 100 episodes. When I was seven or eight episodes in, I I felt so buried. I'd promised myself that I would make one a week for a year, and then I changed that to where I would make 50 in a year. I'd make 50 episodes, and I swear, seven or eight episodes in, I did not see any way I was going to be able to do it. It was taking about 12 hours to edit the shows each week. And I think it makes the show way better, you know, way better for the listener. But it just took so much time. And somewhere along the line, I got a little bit better to where it takes seven, eight or nine hours of editing. But it's just so much work. And I used to tell Amy, say, Amy, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I really, (laughs) I mean, I've kind of overextended myself by doing this. I just don't know how I'm going to make this happen and she's like oh you'll do it just do one at a, one at a time i've you know i've enjoyed it i feel i um, i really hate the word pride or proud i really don't like that word at all but i really feel proud of this i feel like it's a a body of work that i've made and you know it's something positive i wanted to make something positive where you know there's laughter there's a history recorded little pieces of history that maybe can be preserved. I had a moment where I was stupid enough to believe that there was something, you know, John John Lomax-like or Alan Lomax-like about what I was doing on some minute level. And I was dumb enough to say that to John Lomax, and he laughed and was really nice to me and and said, no, that's exactly what you're doing. And I'm like, well, no, it's not the same, but um, it feels good that way. And I really love the history part. I love having people on who have lived through history. You know, I make no bones about it. I really like the guest with some gray hair and a lot, of, a lot of miles on them. They've been up and down the road quite a few times, and they can share this history, this history that we all grew up listening to the music, but we had no idea about some of the stories. And I also love the fact that I don't have to have anyone's permission to do this. I can simply make a show, put it up online, And either people listen to it or they don't. And it survives on its own merits. I don't have to have some company's permission to do it. I don't have to be hired. I don't have to go through any of that crap. I love that about it. And um, I love that I can speak directly to you guys. And I've said before that I went over two years without doing an interview because I didn't, I just hated it when you you get on and people always ask the same boring questions about what's your influences or what's your, what's the song about? And all that crap that was just completely boring. And I wanted to ask people different questions and I wanted to stay out of the way. Didn't want it to be about the host. You know, I hate it when the host is always trying to put their one liners in and interrupt you and all that. I didn't want to do that. I figured I would err on the side of staying out of it. (laughs) You know, if I spoke less, it will be a better show. And I just let make it all about the person that I have on. And a lot of you guys appreciate that. It may not be for everybody, but I, the people that it is for appreciate it a lot more. From this point forward, I've decided that I'm going to, instead of doing one show a week, I'm going to do a sh- one show every two weeks. And I believe I'll be able to keep the quality up, and the quality high. I have a lot of great ideas for shows I want to do. There are people that I've tried to get on this show for over two years now that I send an email back and forth to about once every two weeks, and they say, yeah, we'll go ahead and do it. There's a couple of these people. There's a couple people I chased for over a year that finally happened, like W.S. Holland. I was really proud of being able to do that. I won't say who the people I'm still chasing are, because it's a little bit ridiculous at this point. It's kind of become my white whale. but Maybe I'll be able to land one of these sometime. And these are people that have all agreed to be on the show. It's just getting in the same room has been, this doesn't seem to happen. So I really appreciate you all listening in and thank you very much for spreading the word and telling your friends. And thank you very much to those of you who have supported this show by buying stuff at Otis com, And I hope you continue to do that. If you haven't done that yet, this would be a great time. Like I said, I have a lot of great ideas coming up and I look forward to it, but, uh, Thank you guys for, for listening, and uh, I hope you would enjoyed this 100th episode. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank everybody for sticking around through the first 100 episodes. I hope you guys enjoy the show moving forward. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to OtisGibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours. And we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out, but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment, subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free every other week. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.